to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I am your host, Gary Cacciolillo. And before we get started, I want to thank everybody for listening and also thank the contributors to my show, who are Candace Sanderson, author of The Reluctant Messenger, Joseph Simkovic, author of How to Kiss the Universe, Ms. Aida, author, psychic, spellcaster, rootworker, and witch. And you can find her at MsAida.com. M-I-S-S-A-I-D-A dot com. And this episode is being sponsored by Ginger Glasser. And she is a tarot reader, evidential medium, and healer. And you can find her at tarotbyginger.com. And now, without further ado, our guest for today is Dr. Greg Nielsen. And he is the author of a whole bunch of great books from Pendulum Power, Pyramid Power... Um, spiritual frequencies, star consciousness. This is going to be one heck of a ride. Thanks for coming on today. Yes, thank you for having me. <laughs> Gary, can I call you Gary? Is that Absolutely. Good? <laughs> I'll call you that. Yeah, I, I've written a bunch of books. I know when I sometimes tell my students how many books I've written, they go, oh my God, that's a lot of books. But when you figure out how old I am, it's really not that much. <laughs> <laughs> One every few years. <laughs> so, I know yeah. the, the first book I heard of, from you was, was the Pyramid Power book. Yeah, that was our first book that I was involved in writing, co-writing with mm-hmm. uh, Max Toth. We did that in the 19, 1970s. 1974. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually go that far back writing, 74. And uh, it was a very popular book and actually still sells today. That's incredible. It, the biggest selling country is India right now. That makes sense to me, though, I think. Exactly. they kind of, you know, are open to that whole spiritual and also from the scientific view, which is exactly what you're all about. I, you're probably one of the first authors to really start talking about spirituality and science as one thing. Uh, exactly. I've, I've been, it's been a goal of mine, uh, just an interest and a goal of mine ever since I started this whole thing is combining the two or bringing some sort of connection between the two. And not using science to necessarily prove a person's spirituality, mm-hmm. but just using scientific method to some degree, not a, not too rigidly, uh, in your spiritual journey. So you're verifying facts, you're gathering information, you're trying to, uh, you know, basically you're your own experiment. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But yeah, India is really big. They're really big in the pyramids there, and they have pyramids all over the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, they construct them very much some of the things that are talked about in the Pyramid Power book. They're very, uh, very into that. So, yeah. Do you, do you think that the, what do you think the pyramids were originally used for? Like the great pyramids? Do you think it was a um, power machine, a transmitter, a receiver, or probably like all of the above? <laughs> that is such a great question. I don't think anybody really knows the answer. Mm-hmm. In my view, based on the evidence that I've seen, it definitely was not the tomb for the pharaohs. Right. You know, they've never found a pharaoh in there and a mummy or anything like that. So mm-hmm. that's kind of that for sure. I know. But 
now we go into the intuitive area and a feel after look, looking at it and dealing with it and writing about it and using it for a lot of years. I'm going to go with it's basically some sort of energy generator of some kind. Uh, people report that, especially when they get a chance. That doesn't happen very often anymore. They would climb to the top part of the pyramid, the Great Pyramid of Giza. There's three of them there. And uh, they would claim to feel all kinds of energy there on that peak point. Plus, if you look at the alignment, it's such a perfect alignment. I mean, to north-south. Uh, whoever did it, whoever decided to be the engineers, mm-hmm. they certainly knew what they were doing. And well, I don't think it was just for a temple. Right. And I don't think all, so either. Yeah. And they're all over the world. I mean, people think of Egypt, but, you know, Central South America, Asia, the Native Americans had their uh, large mounds in it. There were more mounds, but mm-hmm. they weren't perfectly, what do you call it, uh, stone pyramids. But why were they building them around the same time as other people in Central and South America? So, so several tribes did that type of thing. So there, some kind of a energy was experienced. And it's my belief in my heart that uh, indigenous peoples, that's, that we can call them that, indigenous people, or people from the past, uh, much more sensitive energetically than we are today. Uh, not that lots of people are not, and we're moving back toward that, but uh, that was a commonplace experience. They could feel the energy of the place, the energy of the pyramids, uh, the energy of the environment, the animal. They're much more energy-oriented as far as picking up the energy. And uh, I'm not sure. I think it's a good thing to have that because uh, you become numb to awareness of like you walk into a room and i've had p- people i tell people wow can you feel that what right. there's nothing there You're, they don't say i'm crazy but they go like it's just a room <laughs> <You know? laughs> there's nothing there <laughs> so uh yes yeah, so to answer your question i'm going to go uh, go on the side of they were used for a definitive purpose they weren't just for temples mm. yeah so I agree. Do you think that the, do you believe in the ley line connection that these oh, yes. pyramids and the sacred sites were all built on ley lines yes. where there's a strong, um, magnetic fields? I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Uh, I've written two books on the pendulum. And when you go to the, uh, regional and national dowsing pendulum conferences that are one in California, the main ones up in Vermont, there's always, People there that use their divining rods mm-hmm. for locating the ley lines. And those are places of energetic power, I guess you could say, or energy that, that you can feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of these places are purposely built by the ley lines. And so I think you're, I think, I'm assuming your listeners have heard this before. So it's nothing new, but, uh, Certain spots feel energetically better than other spots in nature. And I, I agree with the fact that they picked ley lines or spots on the, by the Nile to build those pyramids. And of course, there's many other pyramids in Egypt, but those are the three, the three main ones right there. Right. Yes. I'm answering yes to that again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know, you know, the pendulum thing is interesting too. I have like, a, like 15 different pendulums, you know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I don't know if they can see me, but here's one right on my desk right here. <laughs> I mean, there's infinite pyramids, I mean, pendulums. But yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off there. Well, one of the things about the, the, the pendulum, you know, I've always wondered too 
is the pendulum, or you know, here's the odd question, like, or odd way to think about it. When using the pendulum, like, when I first started using it, reading books on it, they would say, oh, you know, like, like, there's, like there's some kind of movement in the human body that's subconscious that's making the pendulum move. And then there's other school of thought where it says that is some outside force. And then there's a big more cosmic view, which is it's all of the above and more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I'm going to weigh in for all of the above. <laughs> I think it depends on your point of view and your language that you have and the level of uh, being that you have or experiencing. Uh, from my point of view, having focused on using the pendulum, you could focus on a lot of different tools or methods to, uh, I guess, develop your intuitive perception, your your sense of uh, what's happening in the moment to help interpret it beyond your five physical senses. And from my case, it, I was exploring the world of intuition. How can I be more intuitively aware? And I stumbled across the pendulum and took to it. I would people take to other things. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a divination type process. And clearly, in my experience over time, my intuition got sharper and sharper and sharper and more uh, active in my day to day life on a practical level. And to me, I give a lot of it to using the pendulum extensively. And in my second book, Beyond Pendulum Power, I, I make that argument that it's a way of int- developing your intuitive awareness. And intuition connects all over. I mean, it can be day-to-day life. It can be interdimensional. It can be in nature. I mean, it's just very vast where you can pick up that energy. And uh, you can you can feel it. You can see it. You can know it. But you can't necessarily scientifically prove it to people. Mm, not I yet. Mean, no, no, not and very likely going to happen. Uh, there's some some proof already. Mm-hmm. So if you watch some of the TED talks, people offer uh, you know, research that they've done and uh, that type of thing. But again, to answer your question, I, I would say it, it's all of the above. It can be tapping your subconscious, can be higher power, your higher self. Uh, all of that works. And a lot of it has to do with your level of being, what kind of person you are. Mm-hmm. And it evolves over time, hopefully. And uh, it gets sharper and sharper as you your being becomes more attuned, I guess, to multiple levels at the same time. So it's not hopeless pocus because you're basically growing organically most of the time toward a wider consciousness. Right. And, and what is consciousness? You know, that's like another topic that you talk about which is in your book star consciousness yeah you know which you know i was walking my dog before the episode and i was thinking about it and i'm like you know because everybody sort of knows this now but you know it, the stuff that makes up our bodies is stardust essentially you know? That's it. So, so really all we are is conscious chunks of stardust it's so bizarre I just a, really here we, i just got a tingle up and down my spine <laughs> <laughs> must be stardust activating. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> speaking of stardust, um, my son and I were taking trips every year. We call it the Dane and Daddy Pants National Park Tour. He called me Daddy Pants. I never asked him what he meant by that. <laughs> I don't want to know. <laughs> we went to Bryce Canyon National Park one year, and we uh, saw a sign in the lodge that they're going to have a show. Uh, at this place nearby, not far away, uh, the NASA public relations astrophysicist lady was going to speak to the audience about her findings. And her main point was 
we are star stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. She made a beautiful, I wish I could repeat it. You can find it on YouTube. Her, her talks are there. I could look up her name, but it's easy to find. You just, you know. Yeah, I'll just look her up. Yeah, look her up. And she has a bunch of videos. The very talk that she gave that night is on YouTube. But her main point was we are vibrationally and practically, like you said, star stuff. She gives a long explanation why that's true. And she uses a lot of science and astrophysics, which kind of blew our minds, frankly. <laughs> the place, at the end of her presentation, it was very quiet. There had to be at least 500 people there. And people are walking out. I think they were like almost stoned, you know. <laughs> what? They're going, and I know we got in our car and we immediately got lost because we, did, we, were, just, we were kind of disoriented. We were laughing, giggling. We're going, oh my God, that blew my mind. How about your mind? Oh, yeah, I don't have it anymore. It's gone. <laughs> it just, my day-to-day mind's out of here. So we got lost. It was in 11 o'clock at night, no, no lights. So finally, we just pulled over, kind of got ourselves grounded again, and realized, okay, we got really spaced out from that presentation. Because it's quite a revelation that you're made out of star stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're not used to that type of thinking... It could be quite mind-boggling. It is. But, it's really yeah, strange. And, yeah, then, and then you take the idea, too, that, okay, we're made out of this star stuff, right? Right. And then there's this thing called quantum entanglement. So if we're mm-hmm. made out of star stuff, right, and everything's quantumly entangled, that means that we have access to all this energy, not just here on the planet, but all throughout the cosmos, yeah, and that's kind of one of the main points of the book, Star Consciousness. And I give lots of practical ways of maybe experiencing that directly in your own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, I talk about stars in that book. Uh, there's been some evidence that stars are conscious. They're not just light yeah. shooting out, you know, randomly through the universe, but they seem to move in certain directions. And they're they're, they're going into that now, some of the scientists more and more but I, I bring and i'm not saying that i'm i never think that i'm right i just think this is something i experience and this is something i want to share and uh, so i talk, give a, a, quite a lot of detail about how to transmute and change who you are to more a functioning energy being uh, as opposed to just a sensory being which is a good thing too they're all wonderful but there's some of us that are much more energy sensitive or are growing into be more sensitive picking up the vibe and so that book was dedicated to people who want to be more energy aware uh, psychological energies and those who are already like empathically energy attuned but are overwhelmed they don't know how to handle it it's devastating for them sometimes i guess so yeah i mean if you're not expecting it no no and they're they walk around just feeling things all over the place I had this uh, one woman who I was working with for a while call me from McDonald's years ago and say, what do I do? I'm overwhelmed. I'm just lying. I'm in line here at McDonald's and I can't take it. <laughs> I said, leave. <laughs> <laughs> Get in your car if you have to and just take a break or whatever. You know, take take a deep breath. Yeah. But she was picking up the overwhelming energy. She was like a sponge, very sensitive person. So, yeah, that that book is dedicated to those people. Wow. Some tools. So what yeah. are some of the benefits that you think that people, by, by using your techniques and connecting to this cosmic energy, 
how does that benefit the individual and how does that benefit the universe in general? Well, it changes fundamentally how a person approaches day-to-day life. I mean, they look at every situation energetically, not just sensory. I can give you a practical example coming up. uh, My son and his wife are having their first baby in July, but they're having a large party coming up on the 21st of May. I guess it's a family gathering combined with a, what do you call it when you have the baby baby shower? That's it. That's the word. Mm-hmm. So my son knows who I am, the kind of person I am. So he calls and lets me know. Just to let you know, the day you're coming in, we're having a large gathering barbecue, okay, on a Saturday afternoon. And then we may have some people stay overnight Saturday night. So I said, thank you for letting me know so I can adjust my my energy. I, I, can, I can be aware of what I'm going into. Sometimes if I go not aware... It can be, I can be overwhelmed, but if I kind of get a rough idea, I know how to make some adjustments. Uh, for example, the day before, I won't overdo it. I'll get a good night's sleep. I'll eat healthy. Uh, I'll be extra aware in the moment. I'll pick up what's going on. I won't get sucked into activities that kind of drain my energy too quickly. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean anybody's a bad person that's there. Just I've changed how I function. I function more as an energy-oriented person. And it helps me navigate life mm-hmm. that way. And uh, I mean, I use it all the time. So the things that are in that book and other books, uh, they're nothing new to what I you know, do. I mean, the material's out there for thousands of years. I just wrote it in my own way. Mm-hmm. But you can navigate the situation better. And uh, I have another example. I have a, uh, a teacher asked me to fill in for them because I have a doctorate in education. I teach at the university. And, she said, could you do me a favor and fill in coming up here on the, uh, oh, I think it's the 1st and 2nd of June. And she's emailed me today and said, I just want to let you know on Friday, the whole class is going to be walking to the park and we're going to have a gathering and a picnic there. And I probably would have been fine not to know ahead of time, but knowing ahead of time, I know I can make adjustments. Mm-hmm. So I'll be sure to pack a lunch so I won't be starving. I'll be sure to see who's going to be in charge, who's going to handle the mismanagement of behavior, because they're in eighth grade. Some of them can get out of control, which is, hey, I was <laughs> I was way out of control. In eighth Me grade. too. <laughs> yeah. So I, I something, no put down, just I want to be able to deal with it so I can enjoy it and interact with the students. Again, using the tools in the book, I apply them to those situations, and it, it makes it a lot more, a lot, a lot easier to navigate to not be surprised and of course sometimes you are surprised and then you still have those tools and you just you think on your feet you think on your feet so, i don't know if i answered your question but that's that's the main thing that i, I got out of doing that stuff is the second thing is just the enjoyment level mm-hmm. I mean, if you just choose to be more aware in the moment and there's lots of people that say it different ways and you go through meditation the power of now being in the present uh you, you enjoy what you're doing much more. Uh, you're more spontaneous. Uh, humor is, is present more easily. Uh, you don't really think about the past excessively or worry about the future mm-hmm. when you when you do these things. So there's a lot of practical value in uh, making that effort. So, yeah. How about meaning? Do you think it gives people more meaning to life? 
or oh. like, like I know like, like my own personal feeling about it, you know, when I'm connected through the energy and, and I think of myself as part of something more cosmic, it makes one for easy for me, more easy to for to laugh at myself, oh, the yeah. people, my oh. everything around me because I'm like, well, how serious is this if we're such a if we're yeah. connected to this infinite man, you know, like like how yeah. serious is this stuff? It's kind of the cosmic joke. Yeah. Uh, and it's, a, it's a positive joke. It's not a negative joke. No, not at all. It's, it's a beautiful joke, really. Yeah, so, I don't know, you can't put it in words, but it has to do with just the mystery, the unknown, uh, just knowing you don't know. That mm-hmm. <laughs> much. You're in the moment. You can feel the energy of the moment, but and you're kind of going, wow, this is feeling pretty good. And, and it often leads people to resonate to their purposes in life better. Mm-hmm. Uh, I run into people all the time that, well, it's great how you have a sense of purpose. And I said, yeah, well, I think almost anybody can find purpose. It doesn't have to, maybe you're going to be a cook or you're going to raise three kids or maybe you're going to, it's a combination of things. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think it's going to be this big deal like you're, uh, you're going to be, lead the way to, uh, you're going to take a space flight to uh, Jupiter and you're going to be the head astronaut. No, it could, could be, but it, it can be almost anything. It could be very simple, but uh, that sense of purpose gives you like a, a sense of joy and happiness. It's pretty cool and uh, gives you a sort of a connection to unlimited energy mm-hmm. as opposed to worry and hatred and fear. And all of those are still present and you can still feel them, but you, you tend not to go with it as much. At least that's what I see. Yeah. You, you don't have to really because you're... Oh. I mean, what safer place to really be than a part of the cosmic energy matrix, holographic, whatever this is, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it makes my life very enjoyable, and uh, I feel blessed. I I feel like my nickname is Mr. Lucky because <laughs> to have attracted this and had the people introduce it to me in the, in the books and the people and the places and it's just a wonderful opportunity that, thank goodness, I, I resonated to somehow. Because you look, if you wanted to go back and look at my life previous to moving in that direction, uh, I don't think I would have lived much longer, frankly. I mean, I was too negative. I was unconscious. I was too competitive. Uh, all these things, you know, growing up where you pick up in the culture around you. That for some people, it's a learning process. For me, for me I needed to end that and move towards something else that was healthier. So... Lots of people are in that position today. Yeah, including myself, really. Yeah, you know? yeah me too. I mean, I'm constantly embracing whatever the process is I'm going through. And today I have a talk that I'm going to be giving on the uh, 24th of this month to a bit national corporation annual mm-hmm. leaders get together and. So part of it is bringing some of these things up in language that they feel comfortable with. And uh, so I wanted to talk about, you know, at the end of it, it was going to be how to generate your happiness list. You can call it anything. You can call it joy, happiness. Uh, I feel great about life list. And because uh, I'm showing a video at the end, it has to do with happiness. Uh, I give a demonstra- I'm going to tell them, here's the things that if somebody asked me that question, I'd tell them. Meditation or whatever you want to call that. And meditation for people can be a, like my dad, who was a golfer. When he would go out and play golf, you could see a complete change in his whole demeanor. It was like 
wow. He was so happy out there, outdoors. And that was one way he found meditation energy for him. For me, it's just a quiet, dark room in the morning, usually 5 o'clock, 5.30, with a great cup of coffee, beans that I ordered from India and ground myself and do a pour over. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, I just kind of go into this zone of joyful happiness uh, that feels good. It starts my day on a good note. Then the next thing on my list, I was uh, three things, it was uh, love to write. Mm-hmm. I really enjoy it. I mean, it's not... I don't find it tedium, tedious or a form of suffering like some of my students have to write a paper. <laughs> and I get I get it. You know, yeah. there's not it. But I actually embrace it and love it and enjoy it. And I discovered that as a teenager. And then the third thing is teaching. So there's a, those are three. I have more. The next one would be exercise. I love to, to go out and do things. I was a runner for many years and enjoyed the outdoors and so, and I know that's my happiness list. And if I do things like that, I feel better. Hmm. I don't do those things and it doesn't feel so good. So anyway, that's a, that's a plus. That's a plus right there. It's yeah. interesting though, because none of those require money or power. Thank you. Yeah. In fact, uh, when kind of personal power that seems I don't know, excessive recognition, I sort of avoid it. It really does kind of throws me off my center. Mm-hmm. For example, three years in a row, they voted me here in town, and a lot of it's politics, frankly, uh, college instructor of the year, three years in a row. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was pretty nice. My ego got inflated, no doubt about it. It was nice and great. But the fourth year, I told people... <laughs> Don't vote for me anymore, please. <laughs> causing me too many problems, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm really not that good. There's a lot of other good people. I think the main reason you guys vote for me is because I use texting. Mm-hmm. And most teachers in colleges don't use texting. They crown on it. So I have a good reputation for being a good communicator with my students. But that made me, made me feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So there are yeah, certain situations it's just... Not something that puts me on my path. It kind of puts me off the path. So, And you get a sense of what to do next, what not to do, what works, what doesn't. And you still struggle with lots of things. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, e- ego. Ego is one of the things that blocks us from that purpose. And I guess sometimes recognition can oh. puff up a person's ego and then actually block them from the connection to the universe. Yeah, and I'll be very honest. I mean, by the third year, I'm grabbing the newspaper and looking to see if I'm still number one. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going, okay, I caught myself. Self-observation, I call it in my book, Mm -hmm. Star Conscious. And I said, look at you. I mean, you wrote a book. You have a whole chapter on it, but you're you're falling for it. (laughs) (laughs) It's very easy to do. I laughed. I thought, yeah, okay. All right, it's time to shut up and... Let it go. It's not that big a deal. It was wonderful up to its point, but time to not have my identity wrapped up in the fact that I'm, my name's in the paper, you know, right. that type of thing. So it's I, I got a taste of uh, how people who are very famous must have to deal with these things. And, and it'd be tough. That's a tough thing if you're not built or conscious in a certain way. Uh, start believing your own great so-called ego greatness. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's a tough one. So 
do you think like like when you're with your happiness list? Oh yeah. Um, is that like something for people to like? How would that be you? Like, where are people going to use that? Or is there like people like people that are just unhappy? So you have them make a list and say like, "Hey, you know what? You actually have the power to manifest these things." And there's different degrees of unhappiness because some people will claim, "Well, it's nice that you're happy, but I'm not." Mm-hmm. And some people resist if you even bring it up, but. Uh, for for this group, I don't really know what they're about yet. Uh, I'm asking some questions before I get there to get a feeling, but everybody can, no matter what ha- degree of happiness you're experiencing in life or unhappiness, you can attract that energy. You can participate in more happiness. Uh, so uh, I would say that it's for anybody who would like to be more energetically attuned to day-to-day life in the moment. So... This particular group, um, we're going to do it. We're going to create three things. And, uh, and then I'm going to have them make a commitment to a certain number of minutes, maybe or an hour or a half hour over the next month or fit it in the schedule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But make a commitment to do at least one or two of those things. And uh, usually they feel better. They like it. I'm not sure if I'm answering your question, but they're a happier person. Right. It's, it's kind of an irony that you have to like force people to do things that makes them happy. It, it happens. Right? Now, once people, once people get onto it, there's no stopping them. Believe me. Once they're onto it, they, they are, they're riding that wave. It's fantastic. But there are people who they, I'm miserable and there's nothing I can do about it. Well, that's their belief. So that's what's going to happen. And they keep attracting that into their life. So uh, from time to time, you get people that don't want to hear about it, and that's okay. If they want to suffer till they want to be happy, that's fine. That's their business. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I find that if people do it a little bit. Now, there was a time in my life as a single father and working two jobs, I would keep telling myself, I don't have time. I'm too busy. I kind of knew what to do. This goes back, I don't know, 30 years ago. And uh, I caught myself thinking that. I said, wait a minute. What's the name of that book you wrote again? <laughs> you read it. Tune into the spiritual frequencies. <laughs> so I said, oh, okay. So I saw that I could find small moments, small moments. And what I came up with is uh, I my office where I was working wasn't my favorite place to work, but what I was learning was great. It was a ri- it's the river that runs through town here mm-hmm. called the Truckee River. And I said, you got an hour a day. Why don't you have your lunch down by the river? So I did started doing that at least once or twice a week, because oftentimes I'd work through lunch, but I was granted an hour lunch, and that felt great. I mean, close to nature, that made me happy, and that's on my happiness list, too, being close to nature. Mm-hmm. Then it dawned on me, well, you're not writing much right now, and you really enjoy that. That's number one on your list. So I started bringing a notepad, and I was, I'd write poems by the, by the water. I'd kind of wait till I felt something... I like to think that the river was kind of speaking to me, but you know, it could be just my own symbol symbolism, and that made, that changed that pattern quite a degree. I can tell you the long story of how the the book eventually came out. Da da da. I have it. It's enjoyable. People like it. it things came together. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. Which is like, almost like a mystery. Uh, things came together on it. But uh, that's that's the beauty of having that ability to find your happiness and your purpose you make your life healthier more balanced and more enjoyable 
Yeah. So what happened to you? Was there a personal experience that happened to you that, that brought you down this road? That's a great question. Thank you for asking that, because I'm going to use this in my talk coming up on the 24th. <laughs> I was asked to bring that up. Uh, for me, and everybody has different experiences. Uh, for me, it was, I was, uh, I think I was 20 years old. And again, I'm going to make the very long story short, but uh, I woke up one morning and I just felt really tired and like no energy. I mean, drained. Uh, I was going to the University of Minnesota at the time as an undergrad. And it was the first day of the semester. And I started walking to class thinking it'll go away. I probably just, you know, was up too late or something. But halfway to the classroom, I said, oh, boy, there's something really wrong. So I, I could barely make it to. Fortunately, we had a hospital on the campus. It was a teaching hospital. I was able to walk to the campus, uh, to the campus hospital. And uh, they found out that I have, I mean, it took weeks to find out what I had. But I had a form of blood cancer, like a leukemia, but a little different. And so, yeah, that was a wake-up call. And, of course, I went through a whole process where people in my wing were going to the negative side. Can't blame them because I was, too. Uh, I don't deserve this. Why is this happening to me? My life's just starting. I mean, you, I would obsess all day long until finally I was just like drain myself and going, just take me. Take me. <laughs> I, mean, mm -hmm. I don't want to live. It was very dark. But I had read a book uh, that couple months before by a psychologist called Carl Jung, a Swiss mm -hmm. psychologist. A lot of people have heard of him. They use him for dream therapy. Yeah. And he had a book uh, called, uh, what was it called? Dreams and Reflections. Dreams and Reflections. It was a great autobiography. And I said, wow, he put a lot of value on dreams. I've never really spent any time on that. I didn't even think it was valid. I, my, my automatic thinking, my life, dreams, I mean, you know. That's old fashioned. That comes from centuries ago. But I said, okay, I'm dying. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll try the dreaming thing. So I did. And actually, I started having quite a lot of active dreams. And the dreams started almost directing me, I guess you could say, uh, giving me insight and points of view. And one thing that came through was how you think and feel is a part of your healing. And I said, wow, I'm not thinking and feeling too good. So I just changed my whole life pattern in the hospital. I started eating better, reading better. I got my guitar. My parents brought my guitar and put it in the room. Uh, I actually decided to continue with classes on campus in the hospital. So teachers would come to the room. It was very convenient. I mean, mm -hmm. it wasn't that far to walk from them. And my parents made sure they got paid for properly to do that, which was really wonderful. So I actually started changing how I thought and felt. And my whole healing process accelerated. Now, that's not a formula for everyone, but for me, it was. I mean, it just really changed my life. So that would be the probably the most important experience in my life as far as changing my direction mm -hmm. and realizing that I have some things that I can do. I'm not at the mercy of whatever. I got out of that hospital, too. Right. I told my this place is like a death trap. So they found another hospital, had a much more vibrant and positive interchange with the people. That helped. It was a lot of things, but that that kind of set me on my path hmm. from there. So, yeah, it happens to a lot of people. They have a special defining moment or experience or life experience. And sometimes uh, I ask my students, like, you got a minute. Tell me your life story. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm looking to see what they're going to tell me, you know, like, right. well, you know, this happened, that happened. But uh, anyway, yes, yes, I would say, and most people have, although I do meet people who are born more into being along those, being more internally aware. Yeah, now they do. Yeah. There are parents out there that are awesome. I mean, they're raising their kids uh, to embrace this type of life because they do. And you meet these young people and it's like, wow. And they burned it. I don't know how they did, but somehow they did. And I'm glad they did because I love being around them. And you can cultivate friendships on all age levels with that. So it's kind of cool. Yeah. It's interesting. Like the, the dream idea, you know, it's like, well, all right, well, what makes dreams different than looking at things in ordinary reality? But one of the things that is different in dreams is, is a couple of things. One, you can, can manifest whatever you're thinking in a dream state also is nonlinear. Thank you. Which so it, gives you it gives you like a, uh, some extra dimensions to work with that yeah. we don't have in this three dimensional reality. Yeah. I, I, you know, I spent, every, you know, since I was about 20 years old looking at dreams and the more I look at them, less, less of an expert I am mm-hmm. because so quirky and odd. Some are really, fantastic and helpful other ones are not i'll give like a practical example in the recent months i've been re-examining my dreams because i'd had a repeated dream related to having my smartphone and i couldn't figure out how to use it to call people so then uh, I had re- it was repeated over a year or two finally i went it dawned on me well what would that be in my day-to-day life and the thing that came up for me, and everybody's different how they come up with these things, mm-hmm. but it felt accurate and was helpful. Uh, you tend to get really frustrated in certain situations, and you sort of justify your frustration. Mm-hmm. So then you can't dial the phone. You don't know how it works. You can't be in the moment. And uh, I, it was kind of a hidden thing that I didn't really pay attention to. It's, a, it's amazing all the layers that are there. I mean, it's just endless. And then I started working with letting go of frustration. You don't have to cling on to it in, in your mind, tell you how justified you are to be frustrated in that situation. <laughs> Even if you think you're right, you're not right if you cling to it. You know? That's true. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> oddly enough, uh, I, the high school I used to work at years ago asked me to take a class, like a substitute teaching class for the day. Mm-hmm. I've been working on this uh, for a couple of months now. It's still ongoing. So I, so, oh, what's the, what class is it? Oh, it's a music class. Oh, I love music classes. It's usually pretty good energy. They want to play their music, you know, their guitar or their ukulele or their piano. So it's pleasant, more or less so. But I got there and they sent me to the room and they made a mistake. It wasn't uh, music. It was um, automobile shop. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately felt frustrated. <laughs> I got angry too. I mean, this was, it lasted about a half hour, this whole, because I started noticing, okay, there's a good example right here. You're frustrated. You're on the frustration frequency. Are you going to justify it? Are you going to spend the whole day like this? Are you going to stampede down to the office to see the principal and say, hey, yeah, you know, you said music and it's you know, auto shop. I said, you're here because you're supposed to learn something. Finally, I said, oh, okay. I started letting it go. I actually practiced some of the things I wrote about. 
And I started feeling better and I got into the flow of the day and I really enjoyed it. So I had different, they weren't musicians, but they were musicians of the car. <laughs> car repair. And I asked a lot of them who were seniors, what do they plan to do after they graduate? And several had told me about this place they go to uh, in California that teaches them auto mechanics, both old school and new school. And so I had, a, I learned a lot. I didn't even know about these things. So, but I can tell you, I was definitely gripped those first, at least a half hour. Hmm. I didn't want to spend the whole day like that. So how do you, how do you, how do you switch it though? Like, did you have okay. to like stop or wait, take a couple breaths? Like, what did you do? Exactly. First thing I did is I noticed it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Number two, I'm justifying it. Mm -hmm. Three, I'm sticking like crazy glue to it. Cause I think I'm, I should be frustrated and I have a right to be frustrated. Then I said, that's not going to work. So then I said, okay, I, I changed my focus. Energy follows attention. I write about it in my books and nothing new. It's everywhere. I said, I'm not going to put my attention on that because the momentum is so intense toward frustration and even anger that I'm not going nowhere fast with that. So I changed my attention. I started looking in the moment, look around the shop, mm -hmm. all the different equipment that's in here. Look at the enthusiasm of those who are working on becoming mechanically more aware of the automobile engine. Uh, I, I just got more of a sense of that kind of space. I have very little experience in that kind of space. So being in the moment was a wonderful tool. So those are just a few things that I did. I mean, they're not that difficult, but you have to remember to do them. And right. they do. Yeah, like you said, breathing was a big one. I just slowly started being aware of my breath. When you're emotionally gripped, your breathing gets more shallow and you, you don't get as much oxygen into your system. That's comes There's a lot of Hindu uh, training that has to do with that and yoga and so on. But it's in every system around the world. And uh, that helped a lot. And uh, But I think number one is I was conscious that I was gripped by it. And it was okay. But now what are you going to do about it? And that's when I started coming. I would have come up with as many things I could think of. But I would have just kept going. Because some things go away or are released easier. And some things are more fully gripping. And you you kind of get... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've had things too where where yeah. they, they come up and I can't. Exactly. It, it just grabs me and it just drags me through the mud until it's done with me. There's other times where I can stop myself. I totally agree with you. There are some times when you, you just have to go through the whole damn cycle, you know, <laughs> until it wears itself out and you're worn out. Yeah. yeah. But finally, okay, wow. So how many, I was on that for about three, four days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm tired, I'm drained, I'm drinking, I'm taking drugs. <laughs> people, you know. <laughs> so, and, uh, I used to get really down on myself for that kind of behavior because I, I intellectually knew better. Yeah, me too. I still do. But, oh, yeah, me too. I mean, every, and then every so often, it's like, wow, it really, that's a big one right there. <laughs> <laughs> it gives me something. It gives me, I like the idea of a new thing to work on. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's okay. I've worked on things before, so I know the steps. I just have to do them and I have to stick with them. And then I'm not hard. I try not to be too hard on myself. I used to be really hard on myself. Well, you know better why you're doing it. It's not just intellectual. It's, it's a whole energetic, emotional, psychological field of energy. Mm -hmm. It's a lesson to be learned. 
you're not a bad person. Uh, but the fact that you're making an attempt is a good start. Sometimes it takes a while in certain things to, to make a, make progress, if you put it that way. Yeah. But from time to time, I get caught up in a whole web of like, oh, my God, help me. <laughs> <laughs> me too. Me too. A lot of it sort of results back to, too, and I really shouldn't, you know, there's a reason not to be hard on myself or anybody to be hard on themselves. Yeah. Is it, it kind of goes back to our original programming, you know, as as children from – from yep. our parents, from the media, from the schools, from the government, all, all, the, all, all these power structures that have been put into us. I that, think you're doing a great that, job. That aren't that functional sometimes. You are nailing, nailing it right down, in my opinion, right there. And not to throw blame, but... No, it's just awareness, though. Up with it. We don't have to put up with it. We don't have to. We can get out of that. We can choose not to go with that. And uh, I think more and more people see the choices that are available. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was a time when you get so caught up in it, you don't even know you're in it. You just think that's normal. And uh, it's such a great feeling when you discover you don't have, that's not necessarily normal for you. I mean, <laughs> it's a lesson to learn, but you, you want to live your life like that? <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, so that's, yeah, I think you, we come, we come into this world, and sometimes we attract some really dark energies, uh, dysfunction, uh, family messed up stuff, and, and I've you know thought about my parents, and then you then you look at the grandparents and see how you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's where it's really dark. <laughs> Great grandparents, and you go like, wow, I'm so I have a lot of compassion for my parents because they actually came quite a long ways. Mm-hmm they started so i talked to my son i said well did i really mess you up what, what did i do because i assume everybody messes people up <laughs> one way or the other. <laughs> he says well yeah i said well you can tell me it's okay i mean i could spend an hour or two just talking about that but he wasn't bent out of shape mm-hmm. that was the best part he was able to say okay i'm my own person now i didn't emanate horrible you know, destructive things, but you know, just certain traits. Like one trait is when I was younger, I was very gung ho worker kind of person. Mm-hmm. Well, I have, I got that partly from my family upbringing and society. I call it OAS overachiever syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I, I did talk about that with him and say, you know, you don't have to be perfect. I thought I had to be an overachiever for, to be a good person for a long time. So I know you got some of that. So I try to tell him the things I kind of am aware of, and it's up to him at that point. But yeah, so it, it, we carry these things and we pass them down to your friends, your students, your family, your children. So we'll see what happens. He's having their they're having their first baby coming up. So he said, "Well, could you come on down and help us out so we don't mess them up?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know what, you guys, it's your, it's your turn. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. So. In your book about where you, when you're talking about frequencies, okay. um, yeah. are we talking about frequencies like, yeah, like say for example, like, like the map of consciousness type of frequency, or, um, and, and or is it like frequencies all the way up to where we can possibly communicate and channel information from other beings? I am into the viewpoint that you just said. It's all the way from, say, a fear is a frequency. Mm-hmm. changing your mindset to think of you're picking up the vibrational quality 
you're you're experiencing the frequency of fear, the frequency of of anger, the frequency of uh, negative emotion, the frequency of overthinking, or do you let that go and identify or hold your attention on the frequency of love, the frequency of compassion, the frequency of uh, fulfilling your destiny to the best of your ability, for your frequency of maybe you can tune into other beings from other planets or from other dimensions. So I think when you start thinking in frequency terms, it's pretty much unlimited as long as your mind can be steady enough to, to feel it and to know it. Uh, so it really can just it, it adds up. The word freedom is there. Yeah, we were talking about that before we went on the air. <laughs> A lot of freedom. And you can, choose, you can choose what to put your attention on. And so, yes, I think that's, that's a very valid thing when you start thinking in terms of frequency and energy. Um, when you get hung up on thinking of things or seeing things only as things, uh, that can be a problem uh, because you just you close yourself off mm-hmm. from other dimensions. And if you get locked into, you can only know what you see. You can only know what you smell. You can only know what you touch. Yeah, that's all true. But you can know other things that are not physical senses. You can use an intuition. You can feel the vibration of a place or a person. And you get more and more acute with that. So there's multiple other sensory skills that are not just the five basic senses. And that's the part where the frequency skill actually starts to accelerate when you start to have those experiences. And it's an experience and everybody goes at different rates. Uh, and some people are just there when they're born. It's amazing to see these people. Mm-hmm. With a group of people last night, and there was a young man, he had maybe 19, and he held the group spellbound in what he talked about. And people said, oh, thank you for sharing. This guy was just already a developed being trying to figure out how to survive in this world with all these skills that he hasn't quite mastered yet. But he's aware of them. Mm-hmm. It was fun to watch. And it made me feel hopeful about, you know, our future. Because sometimes you can see, you know, you can talk to people that are not hopeful. So quite often the younger people that I interact with, because I teach mostly people from 16 to 23, right in there. Some of them, I'm not having children. Look at this world. It's coming to an end. Uh, we have too many people. There's not enough food. We're destroying the app. They get, and all the things that they're talking about have some validity for sure, but they kind of, they don't want to have children. So I'm not going to bring anybody into this world. That's fine. But they get really on it so much that it really kind of makes them, their life miserable. Mm-hmm. There is a certain, yes, you need to be aware, but what are you going to do to bring about a change in your own way? Right. You don't have to change the whole world, just change yourself. That's, a, that's hard enough. <laughs> and then if you happen to be skilled in something like, you know, solar energy, or you're an expert in thermal energy, or some other thing that helps the planet, fine, then you add that to your repertoire of uh, things in life. Maybe that's part of your purpose, is to discover something that helps the planet adapt and change and, and grow and survive. So it, it, it's, I don't know, it's been... It's a fun thing to, to kind of have to deal with, but I, I'm really hopeful generally about the younger people because they're, they're very conscious of what's going on, both environmentally and more and more internally. You can bring these topics up and they don't, they don't cringe. They don't, 
Oh, that's full of stuff, you know. Uh, you know, I, I I read something about that. I saw it on a documentary on TV. There's so many documentaries tonight, and every not tonight now that you can go on almost any topic. Yeah, um, very quickly, even things that have to do with how do you, how you live your life. So I, I spend about an hour a day on YouTube, <laughs> <laughs> like a smorgasbord of. Things I hadn't thought about. Right. <laughs> yeah, we can't access the information much quicker now. Oh, and yeah. it was like when I was growing up as a kid and had to go to bookstores. And most of the time, even like the bookstores, like like on this particular subject, you were lucky if you found one shelf of books on and these topics. <laughs> I sometimes tell that to people, younger people, and they go like, that's not possible. And it's true. You you were lucky to find a good book, and sometimes it was only good in a part of one chapter, but you'd buy the book anyway. Mm-hmm. And it was like a find. Uh, <laughs> I remember I was living in New York City in the 1970s, and uh, we would go to a store called Weiser's Bookstore in Greenwich Village mm-hmm. at least twice a month. I spent half my paycheck there. I spent two or three hours in there rummaging through the book because he was uh, one of the earliest, uh, what would you call him? I, new age bookstores, I guess you could right. say, new new thought. Mm-hmm. And he had he, his store went back to the 1920s, and his son took it over. It was like, wow, this is fantastic. I was like a kid in a candy store. <laughs> still, yeah, still they were always looking for good books too, because right. some of them were okay, but they were very not that good. But they were a start. But today, information is available to really almost anybody, anytime, if they want to look look for it or look at it. And experience it. So we're very fortunate that way. I wonder now, like, like what you said, like about the kids being optimistic. I wonder if, um, you know, the uh, strategy of governments and religions using fear to control people is starting to fall apart. Well, I think the evidence is pretty clear. I mean, at least how I see it. Uh, people, there are not as many people going to organize dogmatic religion church as much. Um, people are much more into nature as their church, yeah. um, being in the trees, being by the water, being in the mountains, being by the ocean. Uh, there's a real strong thing among younger people and people generally, even people that are, tend to have a dogmatic religion love all that too. It's part of God's life or God's presence and so mm-hmm. on. But yeah, there's not as much, uh, there's more of a acceptance of people uh, having different thought different ways of looking at things and you see such a diversity as a teacher of different thought that works for people things you wouldn't think of even oh wow okay uh, i had a couple students that love street art mm-hmm. and artists and you could see their life was just like a beautiful garden of flowers doing this street art on buildings so that made me feel good that's something i, I would not be attracted to i like to look at it uh-huh. But I didn't actually met people that do it, and they're just so energized with purpose. And that's they found a purpose or direction that's giving them a good feeling. And uh, you find that all the time. And there's lots of people that go, purpose. I, it's nice that you have a purpose. I, I don't I don't have one. Hmm. You don't really try to use logic to explain that to them, though. <laughs> <laughs> Life will guide you. All right. Or the other, uh, toward more of a sense of like riding a wave. It's like getting on a wave and feels very exhilarating. 
and very rewarding and very creating inner growth. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. And uh, yeah, so I, I'm generally more an optimist anyway. I'm just honest about that. Uh, if there's pessimistic things that are true, I don't. I choose not to overfocus on them, but I do like to be aware of it. Mm -hmm. So, if there's something that I can do to improve the environmental uh, energies or qualities in my day-to-day -day life, I will do that to my own ability for what I can do at this time. So, yeah. So and a lot of students are doing that. I mean, just a simple thing like uh, over the last three, four years, moving away and come to the classroom with a water bottle. Now it's a metal water bottle, not a plastic one. Right. Very simple. It's a start. I mean, it's not going to solve everything. Uh, I like to be aware of what forward thinking people are doing. And I really enjoyed uh, listening to, um, he was the head of Microsoft. What's his name? Um, uh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates, he's done a lot of research on redefining and redirecting nuclear power. And he taught, they, he has to design, he, not him alone, but his, his billions of dollars have gone to this. And, and uh, he, he's a big believer in using nuclear power in a constructive new way, safer way. They now can re take the, the waste and recycle it into the plant mm -hmm. before they had to dump it somewhere, which was a real problem. Uh, he hasn't fully got a place operating yet, but he's close. And I, I think he makes a good argument that we have to use as many sources as possible. So to see what somebody's doing with their money, who's a multi-billionaire, whether you agree with it or not, he, he has good, I, I can feel the good intention. So he puts a lot of effort into it. Uh, and people are doing that in all different ways. Uh, so the, the problems are being solved by younger people and wealthy people and a whole range of people. And so we're we're heading in the right direction as far as you're looking just at the environment. Mm -hmm. That's just one one thing to look at. That makes me optimistic <coughs> about that area. So yeah, there's so many d different layers. I mean, that's just one layer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, one of the things too is just people th changing how they think. There you go. You know, exactly. Just changing what you think will change everything. Yep, changing how you think will change the whole world. And I think a lot of people don't even realize that they have that ability. Yeah, they don't but more understand. More people are learning that, though. I agree. That's exactly what I'm seeing. More When I started off with this whole pathway, uh, I almost was in a situation where you really couldn't talk about it because mm -hmm. it just felt really awkward. It felt uncomfortable. Uh, people weren't open or receptive to, even if you tried to make it in simpl simplified language. Uh, now people are... <laughs> Let's go for it. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I taught classes, I think I mentioned before, at the university. It was called The American Experience, The Pursuit of Happiness. I had three, three sections, and they do projects. So we had 24 groups, eight groups in each class, and they came up with scientifically, how can you experience happiness? And they each group produced a video. We had a video festival at the end. And... Even those who were kind of against it, eh, okay, there's science there. <laughs> I guess I could be happy. <laughs> they fought it. But I think two groups in different classes, they took uh, the use of uh, pets and, um, what do you call it? Uh, guide, what do you call it? Service dogs. Service dogs. or serv Yeah, service animals. 
And uh, they did a beautiful job. They had the re head research library and trained them how to do research. And they looked at the different studies that were there and they presented that at the end of their video. They'd have a uh, their bibliography or their references. And uh, it was amazing to watch these 24 groups. Uh, some of them really made a big change. I mean, they saw, yes, you can be happy and you can be happy scientifically if you, because it's proven these certain things. And I kind of modeled it a little bit after the number one college course in the world right now, which was the happiness course at Yale University, hmm. which 300,000 people are taking it right now. Uh, for, I think her name is Santos, last name, Dr. Santos. But you can look it up. Just Yeah, I'll look it up. I haven't heard yeah. about that. Number one course in the, uh, on happiness at Yale University comes right up. There's YouTube videos, there's written material, and uh, anybody can take it. Uh, it. It's been free for a long time. During the pandemic, my son took it. That's how I heard, up, heard about mm -hmm. it. He loved it. You can see he was just really did a lot for him. But she showed the evidence of each thing that she brought up, and that's what my students did. So some of them really went, wow, this is the pursuit of happiness. Okay. I, I tied it into the Declaration of Independence and how it was written, who wrote it, and what does it really mean, and all that kind of thing. Cause, and so they saw, okay, we live in a country where we can pursue happiness. Everybody can pursue it differently, because you can see the 24 groups, there were all different angles on it. Mm. And pretty cool. So that to me is a big, big change that people can actually empower themselves to find what might make, might produce more happiness in their life. They had all kinds of topics, sleep, diet. I mean, they picked all kinds of topics that people hear about to make your life better. And then they presented, created a video showing the research. And so that was pretty cool. So that's what, one of the reasons I'm optimistic in a, in a, what's the word, uh, Realistic. I don't want to use the word realistic, but practical way, I guess you could say. I mean, you, you don't want to get so high in the sky that you don't see issues that come up. So, yeah. So I'm overall, I'm pretty optimistic. Yeah, I, I think I am too. I, I do think that the old way of thinking is coming to an end. I think that's why we're in such a tumultuous yeah. time right now. Yeah. You know? But I do think that, um, you know, it's going to change. So do you think that these, the, the, one of the things that comes up too is one of the changes in the frequency, the changes in our thinking. Do you think it has to do with, you know, us entering a new age or some type of change that's happened with the sun or the core of the earth? I don't know the right way to put it, but there is definitely a shift. I mean, just in my lifetime, it's pretty obvious. I mean, being around my grandparents, God bless them, they were fantastic, lovely human beings. But, for example, I mean, they just, and they were very religious and uh, pious, and they were genuinely religious. They weren't fake. But it was very, to me, very narrow. But that's okay. I mean, but since then, I mean, there's nothing I could bring up about anything I did. I mean, I just carried the Bible, you know. <laughs> Don't carry pyramid power. <laughs> so it, there, it's been a yeah there's been a big change over the last year years in, the, in my lifetime it's been a huge change i feel very lucky that way because we're cool lucky yeah. to get to see it yeah. yeah because can you imagine living 
in a time where there was no openness to possibility of any different thought, because you know this is what the king said, the queen said, and you, the Bible said, and the, and the pope said, and that's it. I mean, yeah. you had to be quite a rebel to get to move somewhere else. <laughs> they would kill you. <laughs> they kill you exactly. Yeah, you're dead. Yeah, you had you had a thought of your own. <laughs> oh yeah, no, excuse me. You know, I read a book. I started with the Bible. That's all that was out. It was a bestseller, but I was glad to move on to something. <laughs> I was bed to, I was so happy to move on to something else. You know, about a novel. Okay, somebody invented the novel. That was a big step right there. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, we live in a very fortunate time, and I just feel absolutely blessed because we're in that transition time. Uh, since I'm an astrologer also, you can talk about astrology in that dimension. Mm -hmm. I've been doing astrology since I'm a in, in, you know, teenager. It's not a science, and it's more of an intuitive uh, symbol thing, but the planetary, it seems to be some sort of planetary thing going on, and it seems to coincide with what's happening. For example, in March, uh, the planet Pluto which has went into Aquarius. That means revolutionary change in technology. Yeah, yeah. When Pluto changes, it's way yes. out there. It doesn't change that often. <laughs> yeah, it's like ever since March. I mean, this AI thing has just exploded. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one example. The 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 Webb Telescope that's a million miles out there, looking to the edge of the universe and finding planets that have water on them already. They don't. They haven't proved there's life there yet. I mean, life in the way we think of it. Yeah. But that is, I mean, it's mind-boggling. Uh, compared to what was thought about, say, you know, a few hundred years ago, the Earth is the center of the universe, and uh, <laughs> so so are you. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I do think we've gone through we're going through a transition in times. Uh, there's different ways of looking at that in astrology. They look at it, you know about two thousand year cycles. Uh, the Hindus look at it different cycles, but there is a transitional time. There's you can look back and just see that. It's a whole different mindset. It's prominent. Mm. Uh, usually it was very regionally, not around the planet, but this, it seems like our planet is starting to uh, have opportunity to come together on certain ways of keeping an open mind, following your own individual path. Uh, you can think outside the box, or it's not even a box anymore, it's a cube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, so I, I, I go along with the fact that we're living in a time when we're going through a big transition. And you can look in history and see other ones where that was happening in its own way. Yeah. Yeah, we, and we've lived through a big one. I mean, you know, we've, we were like, like my age, like I started out still at the tail end of the industrial revolution into the technological revolution. And now it seems to be a spiritual one. All yeah, in one lifetime. That. It's been it's interesting. I'm totally with you on that. It's stunning and it's over. It can be overwhelming at times, you know, because it's a lot to happen in a short amount of time. And some people adapt to it more easily than others. But uh, yeah, I feel blessed that I've been able to live in a time like this because you can see the whole, uh, a whole shift with people. My current students, they don't necessarily know, see a broader shift, which is okay. I mean, they're born into it. Yeah. And they're, this is us. You know, this is how we, we think or we have possibilities of doing. One of the biggest things is uh, 
like I'll ask my students, well, I kind of joke with them. So, you know, you graduate from high school, you're graduating from college. Now, your first thing you're going to do, you're going to buy a house, buy a car, get married, and have two children. Is that right? Oh, no. Nine out of ten times, they say no right away. Mm -hmm. I tell them, well, my parents, when they finished school, they figured by 21, 22, they better have a house, a couple of kids, and a job. So it's a different world. I mean, now there's sort of an acceptance, like your 20s are an opportunity to search and try different things, but I think it's beautiful, wonderful. Yeah. And we're saying, I'm not going to college right away. I'm going to travel for a year. Or I'm interested in learning how to become an artist. I'm going to take, go to art school for a year. And if I want to go to college later, I will. Maybe not. So, yeah, it's much more open. So there's a definite shift in uh, what's going on right now. So we're, we're fortunate, you know, a little bit older, having gone through a rapid shift all the way from, you know, the mediocrity of daily day life right. trying to fit in which was the way they coped at that time <coughs> to now just about anything goes within reason and sometimes no reason yeah, <laughs> <So>, yeah. <laughs> insanity is in <laughs> it is in <laughs> insanity exactly. changes the world really exactly. I, I sometimes get a student in my classes who are like I had one the other day so I'd ask him, like, well, what's your plans after high school? I don't have any. I said, are your parents okay with that? Yeah, they are. I said, good. Thank you. You're definitely a highly creative person. So go go find your own route. Mm -hmm. Tried and true. And I totally am with you on that. He looked at me like, oh, okay. Well, well he's got two parents and this teacher. <laughs> I have no idea where I'm going and what I'm doing. I said, that's perfect. Yeah. You don't know. So that's okay. Not knowing is okay. It's opportunity if you don't know. Exactly. If you if you if if you know sometimes, then you've cut yourself off from other opportunities. I know a good example of a friend of mine right now. Her son, wonderful young man, just started his first year of college. Absolutely academically, a master. I mean, whatever he puts his mind to academically, it's right on. And unfortunately. Let's see, this would be his freshman year, second semester. They discovered lumps in his neck. So he has some sort of a cancer mm. that he's working with right now. So his path was a certain way. I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get all good grades in college. I'm going to get married and have children. Now that's, no, he's going to go a different route now. So he's having one of those defining experiences of life like I had. And like I tell her, I said, you know what? Uh, it's horrible what he's going through. It's just devastating, and he's suffering terribly. But he's pretty strong. I'm, you know, I've known him over the years. He's pretty darn smart. He'll mm -hmm. figure it out, and he'll probably end up being some sort of a person that you have never would ever think he would would be. Mm -hmm. And it's, it'll probably be good. So, but he, in other words, he was on a certain fixed trajectory. Right. <clears throat> Society gave him permission to have, and he was recognized for it. Gave him a nice ego boost. Mm -hmm. uh, he's a super mathematical person. So his fraternity, uh, all the fraternity brothers, or most of them, can you help me with my math? <laughs> and he was, you know, he was great that way. So I'm sure he'll do fine. But still, uh, not everything works out exactly as you think it will. Yeah. No. 
but but it is transformation what he's experiencing. Exactly. Like exactly. what you experienced too through that hardship was all hardship for everybody really is transformation. And just because I kind of have a visual and verbal and knowing path, which is very helpful, mm -hmm. challenges come up medium, small, big on a certain cycle. And there you go. What are you going to do? I mean, are you going to use some of the tools you've learned or not? I mean, that's, and it's nice to have the tools or the knowledge to be able to apply it. If you can remember to do it. And, uh, that's the difference today. Before you just and you read the Bible and and you know do your pray. Prayer and prayer can be very good if it's genuine, mm -hmm. you know, form of form of meditation in a way. But uh, you didn't have a lot of tools in the tool toolbox. Mm -hmm. uh, you had maybe a couple. Sometimes they worked a little bit or a lot. Now we just have unlimited, <laughs> right, <laughs> unlimited. Yeah. Almost hard to figure out which one to, which ones to use. Right, <laughs> it's confusing now. You know, like, well, you're right. Yeah, we had a hammer, a screwdriver, and an adjustable wrench. <laughs> That's it. I didn't even know what what a hammer was. You know, <laughs> I didn't need one. I used a rock. <laughs> so yeah, we have a lot of tools today. So we're very fortunate. We just people just have to be willing to take a look at them and try them out. Mm-hmm. That's basically my intention of writing is how can I put out some things that might attract people uh, because somehow the way I word it resonates to them. But my feeling is whatever resonates is fine. It could be you watched the sunset. Uh, you you know hung out with a friend and you had a great conversation. It could be it's vast. Whatever works. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's been a pleasure having you. You were a lot of fun to talk to. Well, I happen to be a very happy person. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, I'm, I'm very lucky that way. That's why they call me Mr. Lucky. <laughs> I'm a relatively happy person. So, yeah. I, I don't know. How's, how's our time doing? Um, we're about done. But before we wrap oh. it up, though, I want oh. to... Um, Find out where my listeners can find you and find your books. Okay. Uh, eight of my books are on Amazon. Mm -hmm. So let's go Greg Nielsen. Uh, my last name is N-I-E-L-S-E-N. -E so there's a bunch of books there. The ones you mentioned were there. And you can read about them there, too. I have an author's page. And then I have my Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash spiritual frequencies. And if you put that in, you'll go right to my page. Mm -hmm. And I post things there on a regular basis. There's stuff on all kinds of topics. Uh, videos, audios, images, writings. There's 10 more books there wow. that are not published in terms of regular format, like on Amazon. Mm -hmm. It's like a ton of material. So the people that go there for $3 a month, they're basically overwhelmed because it, it would take years to go through all of that. So you, you kind of find what you're interested in. <laughs> you get yeah. your $3 worth. <laughs> oh, yes, they do. I mean, they scan, oh, I like this, and then put that material. So it's a, you just find out whatever you want to want to go for. So those are the two places where people can find me. Okay. Well, I'll put, Patreon. I'll put the links to both of those in the notes of this episode so my listeners can find you, you get your books, and subscribe to your Patreon. I sure appreciate your time, and we, I enjoyed hanging out with you. I enjoyed it, too. 
So thank you for coming on and hang on for a moment or two while I play the outro. Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or message him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the cost of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of this page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. You can also buy the book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need. You can find it on Amazon, and it will change your life. Because remember, everything that it says was first imagined. loved what you listened to today, don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Again, thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable with Gary Cochulio.